and adjusted something, during which process his face loomed in grotesque close-up, then sat down with the other three and swiveled his cap so the peak was at the front. Kate's eyes darted to the top of the screen. The man in the pale jacket had not moved. No, that wasn't I am. Far too untidy. But then he turned to talk to a dark, thick-set individual with wraparound shades and a black polo shirt on his right, and his face became animated. At a pinch... It could be him. The parting was the same, although the hair was a lot longer than she had ever seen it, and the cast of his eyes, his brow and the shape of the nose all did a fair impression of Iam. Then he handed a book to his neighbour with the sunglasses, and he seemed to start talking about it. The court could hear nothing of what was said. The mannerisms of her friend in full flow were unmistakable. He sat back in the chair, caught hold of his right elbow and seemed to draw down the points he was making by opening and bunching his pianist's fingers. When the other man, who was now examining the back cover of the book with his sunglasses propped on his forehead, replied, she saw his head go back with his mouth slightly open in anticipation. Even at that distance, she could see the eagerness and fun in his expression. This was David Iam. It couldn't be anyone else. The cameraman had now taken the role of reporter and, using a small microphone held under his chin, addressed the lens, in what the clerk explained was Swedish. But the noise of the street drowned what he was saying, and once or twice he looked round with dismay as a motorbike or truck passed. The clerk cleared his throat and pointed to Iam. The deceased is talking to a detective, Luis Bautista, he said, glancing at a pad. He is an officer with the Cartagena police. He was meeting his girlfriend at the cafe and was off duty at the time. "'We shall be hearing from him later,' said the coroner, looking round the courtroom over his glasses with his eyebrows rising and falling independently of any expression. "'Detective Bautista is with the local anti-terrorist force and is coincidentally a specialist in the sort of attack we are about to witness.' His eyes went to the clerk. "'Mr. Swift, you may proceed.' Kate's mind protested. "'No,' She would not sit calmly like the others, now peering at the film with an indecent anticipation to watch Iam being atomized. She drew the small shoulder bag towards her and looked for the easiest way out of the crowded courtroom, but then found herself drawn to the sight of her friend helplessly sitting there, and she remembered the first time she had set eyes on him in a student common room in Oxford twenty years before— The dark, oblique presence, the swarming intelligence in his eyes, his habit of moving a hand through his hair when asked a question, and then leaning forward with his fingers momentarily pressed to his mouth, and blocking the inquiry with some diversionary enthusiasm that was so interesting you overlooked the failure to disclose. Two decades ago I am was simply luminous. The smile of reason almost never left his face. She saw him now through the eyes of the people in court— A tourist, good-looking in a dishevelled way, yes, but also a man who seemed washed up and might easily be suffering from some form of midlife crisis or addiction. The dozen or so reporters leaned forward with fascination. "'Any moment now,' said the clerk, "'you will see the white Honda van approach from the right. The vehicle was carrying the device. It parks in the alley, which is bordered by the party headquarters.' He consulted his pad." of the People's Party for Unity, which was the target of the attack. The van appeared from the right, but was held up first by a group of youths crossing the street, then by two men pushing a cart loaded down with bags of nuts and fruit and some kind of cooker. An arm appeared out of the driver's side and waved languidly. A glint of light on the windscreen meant no face was visible as it turned. 
The van entered the alley and parked, but the driver found he couldn't open the door far enough to get out, and had to reverse out, then park again. Presently, a stocky man wearing sunglasses and a cap appeared from the shadows. He paused in a splash of evening sunlight, rubbed his forearms, glanced down the street, then sauntered off without the least hurry. On the near side of the street, the policeman had shifted his chair round to face Iam, who was gesturing towards the book and nodding. She saw now that he meant the book as a gift. The detective seemed overwhelmed, and rose and shook his hand, then returned to his seat, and began to thumb through what she could see was a slim paperback. Nothing happened for a few seconds, then Iam slipped a hand inside his jacket, removed a phone and made a call seemingly without dialing. At that moment, a wedding party came into view on the other side of the street. The newlyweds, a beautiful mulatto couple, were followed by some children and about twenty guests. A band of five musicians brought up the rear of the procession. They soon moved out of shot.